Welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people, the whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit. Hear these words now from the book that we love. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read, as your word is proclaimed, Lord, would we hear it with joy? Uh, would you speak to us what we hear? Would we hear each individually and as a community? Would we hear what you have to say to us this morning? We ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. According to a couple of recent studies, a typical adult, uh, male or female, though the numbers are slightly different, which was kind of interesting, but a typical adult has potential daily exposure to about 600 advertisements. Daily exposure to about 600 advertisements. And all of these are in search of our eyes and our ears. All of these advertisements are seeking to influence us in some direction. And ultimately, they're also hoping that they won't only get our eyes and our ears, but also our wallets, right? And while this number, 600, is startling, this number doesn't take into consideration also the host of other visual and audio messages that are directed towards us in the course of any typical day. This could be via social media, podcasts, the music we listen to, our classrooms, the boardroom, the nightly news, our favorite sitcom, or even simply just in a conversation with a friend, family member, coworker, neighbor, etc. We are constantly bombarded by a chorus of outside voices offering their perspectives on reality. So I was thinking about it this week. It's a little bit like we're standing in the middle of Times Square 24-7. It's just overwhelming all of the stimuli, all of the voices, all of the messaging that are all around us. And pastor and speaker Paul David Tripp has said it this way, we live in a world of inescapable influence. Every day, somehow, some way, you are being counseled. And see, all of these advertisements, all of these messages are telling us often in very subtle ways what we should believe, what we should believe about God, what we should believe about ourselves, what we should believe about other people, or what we should believe about the world. And many times, especially in the advertisements, they're communicating to us what 
prosperity is, what success is, what the, quote, good life is. And if that voice is from a brand, they're also going to tell us what we need to buy, what we need to purchase in order to achieve those things. And over time, as we consume and absorb these messages, these voices, the lens through which we view all of life, which people will call our worldview, is being shaped. And so to put it simply, we are being discipled. We're being spiritually formed by these voices. And in our passage this morning, Psalm 1, the psalmist commends to us a lifestyle in which we should consciously resist the influence of the world's advice and perspective. And when I use the term world, what I mean is not simply things that are outside the walls of this building, but those things that are opposed to God, those things that are antithetical to what God has said or to what God uh, says is true. Look back at verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. See, in this passage, commentators have noted that there is a slow progression that is pictured here. From walking, to standing, to sitting. This is someone who is moving from a casual association with the wicked to a complete identification with them and with their tribe, with their way of life. And it reminds me of Lot. If you know the story, this is the nephew of the Old Testament patriarch Abraham. In Genesis chapter 13, we're told that Abraham and Lot both have huge herds, huge flocks. Their shepherds and their servants are starting to quarrel because they just don't have enough space to live together. And so Abraham says, hey, let's go our separate ways. He gives uh, Lot the first choice. And in Genesis chapter 13, verse 12, it says that Lot settled among the cities of the plain, and he moved his tent as far as Sodom. And you probably don't have to be a biblical scholar or have been in Christianity too long to know the word Sodom, not a good term. This is a city that was wicked. And we see in the next chapter that we're told in, in chapter 14 that all of a sudden Lot now lived in Sodom. So he was outside, now he's living inside. And then finally, chapter 19, there are two angels that visit the city before God destroys it. And the text says that Lot was sitting in the gateway of Sodom, which was an expression that was used Old Testament times in that culture to represent somebody who was an elder, somebody who was well-respected in the community. Potentially, one commentator says, somebody who was exercising some sort of judicial function. So Lot at first is outside the city, then he's in the city, now he's a part of the city. Now he's even maybe leading the city in different ways. There's a progression there. And what the psalmist says is that blessed or happy are the men and women who don't walk that path, who don't go down that progression, who are not influenced by the onslaught of voices. They don't allow the messages to affect their believing and behaving and belonging. So what do they do instead? Verse 2. They delight in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. In other words, these men and women, they saturate their minds and their hearts with the scriptures. They listen not just to any voice, but to the voice par excellence, the voice of God, the voice of their creator and redeemer. Now, if you're just joining us this morning, we're in the middle of a Lenten sermon series on practices of presence. It's part of our Represence initiative that we're in the middle of, this 24-month journey as a church where we're kind of saying, hey, 
in this late COVID, sort of post-COVID world, in this post-Christian world, this increasingly secular world, how do we live? We're studying these practices of presence in our small groups, and then we're also taking some time here in the service during this Lenten season to talk about these practices. And these are habits and rhythms, if you're not familiar with the term, which is fine because we kind of made it up, practices of presence. So these are practices and rhythms, habits that we see Jesus doing in the pages of the New Testament. And they are rhythms and practices that Christians, followers of Jesus, have been doing for millennia ever since. You may have heard them before called spiritual disciplines or habits of grace, or there are numerous other terms that you could put there. But these practices of presence— And this morning, maybe you've guessed and maybe you haven't from Psalm 1, but the practice that I want to talk about is called the daily office. The daily office, which is a practice, which I'll describe in just a moment, but it is a practice that uniquely, I think, helps us to combat the voices and the messages that we face all day, every day. This is a unique practice, the daily office. And so from here, I want to talk in three parts about it. First, the key— of the daily office, second, the goal of the daily office, and third, the benefit of the daily office. So for you note-takers, key, goal, benefit. So first, the key of the daily office. See, this practice of the daily office, it actually consists in many ways of two vital and actually interconnected disciplines that sometimes can be separated, but I think it's good here to think about them together, which is Bible reading and prayer. If you're new to church, you're probably thinking like, oh, that sounds like something a church would talk about. Bible reading and prayer. I get that. However, there is an essential component to the daily office that can't be ignored. And the psalmist, he actually mentions it here. We read it just a moment ago in verse uh, 2 that on his law, he meditates day and night. Meditation. Meditation is the key to the daily office. You see, the concept of meditation, we often hear that. We think about it in the context of of non-Christian religions and worldviews, but it's actually a very biblical idea. I encourage you, as you read through Scripture, keep an eye out for it, especially if you read through the Psalms and Proverbs. Psalm uh, 119, which is the longest psalm, mentions it quite a few times. It is a very Christian idea. And from a Christian perspective, meditation is not a passive sort of emptying of your mind to achieve this sort of state of nothingness, but instead it's an active filling of your mind. In his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, Donald Whitney defines meditation this way. It's deep thinking on the truths and spiritual realities revealed in scripture for the purposes of understanding, application, and prayer. Now, if I were to ask everyone in this room, and I'm not going to, But if I was to ask everyone in this room, hey, if you're someone who reads the Bible or prays at least a couple of times a week, raise your hand. You don't have to do it. I imagine that many arms would go up in the air. Many hands would be raised in this room. However, I would also guess that if I was asked the same question about meditation, how many of you meditate on the scriptures, I imagine that less hands would go in the air. It's something that Few of us, I believe, regularly include in this discipline, in our rhythms. There's a Puritan pastor, Thomas Watson, that has said this, which I think is helpful. He says, The reason that we come away so cold from reading the Word, reading the Scriptures, 
is because we do not warm ourselves at the fire of meditation. Have you ever had that experience? Have you ever read your Bible, whether it was in the morning or at lunchtime or a break at work or in the evening or whatever, that you've read your Bible, you've read the scriptures, and you've closed it and walked away and had a feeling of, man, what did I just read? I just just forgot. Or maybe there's just a feeling of indifference, maybe just passionless. Hey, I did it, and I checked the box, but I'm just not really feeling it. I have. I've had that feeling. I still do on occasion, for sure. And the reason is because we tend to read too fast. We tend to read too fast. And see, the daily office and this essential component of meditation, this key of meditation, it calls us to linger over a piece of Scripture. It calls us not just to understand it, but instead to internalize it, to personalize it, and to to absorb it, to take it in on a deeper level. It's not just intellectual. You know, the idea, yeah, is not that it's, it's not an intellectual studying of the Bible, but it's a thorough reading and savoring of the scriptures that influences us emotionally and volitionally. We saw there in the psalm, it says that this, the psalmist is recommending this person who delights in the scriptures. So it's not just intellectual, but it influences us emotionally as well. And see, meditation is often the thing that's lacking in our modern conception, our modern ideas of Bible reading or quiet times or devotions, whatever word you want to put on that. It's the missing link. There's another Puritan pastor, also first named Thomas, which must have been popular in those days, Thomas Manton, and he makes this point. Meditation is the middle sort of duty between the word and prayer, and hath respect to both. The word feedeth meditation, and meditation feedeth prayer. These duties must always go hand in hand. Meditation must follow hearing and precede prayer. And so whatever methods or forms or tools that you like to use in your daily office, whether that's things like a Bible reading plan, or Lecto Divina, or the Book of Common Prayer, or the Lord's Prayer, the Prayer of Examine, breath prayers, and so on. There are many things that you could incorporate into this daily office. Whatever forms you use, the key to them, to truly practicing the daily office, is that there is meditation upon the truths that you're reading, and that that meditation, that that reading, that it then flows out into prayers of confession and thanksgiving and supplication. And so how do we do this? How do we engage this discipline? How do we engage with this key of meditation? And I have to say that the the answer is simple, but it is not easy to do. And that's simply that we have to slow down. We just have to slow down. Like it or not, slowing down is a requirement of practicing the daily office. Slowing down and meditating on the scriptures allows us to absorb the content and teachings of Scripture more thoroughly so that it gets down into the deepest parts of our being where transformation truly happens. It's like a, uh, a tea bag ste- steeping in a cup of water, right? It takes time for the rich flavor in that tea bag to be extracted into the hot water. You don't just dunk it in there a couple times and chuck it. You leave it in there for a while. It takes some time. And for some of us, 
who aren't spending any regular time in the scriptures, slowing down means that you need to create some margin in your calendar, which is probably the least favorite thing that all of us like to hear because it is hard. All of our calendars are full. We're all busy. But we need to create some margin so that we can slow down. Maybe just five minutes for your entire quiet time for the day isn't enough. How can you elongate that a little bit? How can you create some margin? For others of us who already have a habit of Bible reading, this may mean that we need to read less. Yes, I'm a pastor, and I just recommended to you to read less of your Bible. Read less. And see, here's the thing. Bible reading plans, like the ones that take you through the whole Bible in a year, they're really great, but they're kind of a double-edged sword. They help you and force you in good ways to read all of the scriptures, to read the whole counsel of God, rather than just your favorite parts, which is great. So you don't just read, you know, Romans over and over again, or Proverbs over and over again, or whatever. But they can also become a harsh taskmaster when we're consumed by our need to check all the boxes. For those of us that have done Bible reading plans, you know what I mean. You get behind a day, you get behind two days, you get behind a week. It's mid-March. Maybe you've got dozens of boxes that you're behind on, and it can be overwhelming. And I would encourage you, if you're struggling to find margin, if you're struggling to slow down, if you're struggling to meditate, just read less. It's okay. It's okay. I'll also say, it's okay not to catch up. <laughs> just read what's on there for that day. Slow down. Meditation. That's the key of the daily office. What's the goal of the daily office? So the second point, the goal of the daily office. In his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, which many of us in this room have read, we use it in different ways. It's another one of our favorite books here at Liberty Collinswood. Pastor Pete Scazzaro, he explains the purpose of the daily office well, I think. He says, when I listen carefully to most people describe their emotional life, the emphasis tends to be on getting filled up for the day or interceding for the needs around me. But he says, the root of the daily office is not so much a turning to God to get something, but to be with someone. In other words, what uh, Pete Scazzaro is saying is that the ultimate goal of the daily office, of this blending of Bible reading and prayer and meditation, it is not just knowing and understanding the Bible, but communing with the divine author of the Bible. It's not mastering the Word of God, but instead allowing yourself to be mastered by the God of the Word. It's about communion, relationship. Let me ask you this question. Why do you talk to people? Maybe some of you have jobs where you have to talk to people, so take that off the table. But why do you talk to people, especially those that you're close to, your spouse, your best friend, parents, siblings? Isn't it because you want to connect with them? You want to be known by them and you want to know them? The daily office, in many ways, it serves the same purpose. It's intended to be a conversation. It's a dialogue with the creator and redeemer of the universe. There's a blending in the daily office of hearing his voice as you take in the scriptures, and then a using of your voice as you then pray and offer prayers in response. Those who have done uh, premarital counseling with my wife Carrie and I will recognize the following phrase because it's something that we believe deeply, and it's this. Communication builds intimacy. 
communication builds intimacy. And this principle isn't just for marriage, it's for any relationship. So I ask you this question, do you want more depth, more intimacy in your relationship with God? You need to communicate with him. You need to have some extended, unhurried, two-way conversations. And that is the daily office. You need to practice the daily office. And so if I can tie these first two points that I had already, the key and the goal together, the practice, this practice of presence is all about developing a regular habit of stopping wherever you are during a certain time or times of the day to center your mind and heart on God and to commune with him through the scriptures and prayer. It is a rhythm that allows us to remember God and to engage in conversation with him. That's what the daily office is. That's the key. That's the goal. What's the benefit? Third, the benefit of the daily office. Look back at verses 3 and 4, which we read a few moments ago in our passage. These men and women described here who delight in the law of God and meditate on it day and night are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in, it in season, and their leaves do not wither, and all that they do they prosper. But the wicked are not so, they are like chaff that the wind drives away. This is a great metaphor. It's a rich metaphor, this healthy, well-watered, fruitful tree. And there are certainly more than one benefit that we could potentially mention from this passage, from this image. But I want to zero in on one, and I actually think it's the primary one uh, in this passage because of the comparison in verse 4 with the chaff. And, and this is the benefit of the daily office. It's resilience. Resilience. Or maybe you want to use the word stability. But I'm going to use the word resilience. It's a word that Jim and I have been using recently. And as we've talked about this represence initiative, it's a word that we've used that we want ourselves and for you to grow, to be resilient followers of Jesus. And see, this tree is prosperous. It's filled with leaves and fruit because it has a strong root system that is continuously drinking from this rich water supply. It is full of life because it is sturdy. It's able to withstand the elements. The righteous, those people who love and meditate upon the scriptures, are deeply rooted and stable. In the contrast, in verse 4, with the chaff, the chaff is dead. It's dried up. It's the part of wheat or barley that gets discarded during harvesting. See, in the time period when this psalm was written, this grain that had been freshly harvested from the field would be thrown into the air, and the wind would separate this lighter outer husk, the chaff, and blow it away while the in inner heavier kernel would then fall back down to the threshing floor where it would be collected. So what the psalmist is saying here is that the wicked, these people who are influenced by and follow the voices of the world, these voices, these messages that are antithetical to God, they have no root system. They're easily blown away. They're unstable. They're not resilient. See, the difference between the righteous and the wicked is not about their circumstances. And that's really important to note when you read this passage or as you read other passages in the scriptures like this. We live in a fallen and broken world. We've been preaching through Genesis, which we're taking a break from right now during this series or during the season of Lent. And we preached on Genesis 1, 2, 3, where we get into all that about creation and fall. We live in a fallen and broken world. 
which means that all of us, whether we're followers of Jesus or not, we have, or if you haven't, you will experience storms in life. And the difference, then, between the righteous and the wicked is how they handle those difficult situations, how they handle those tragic events. The tree can withstand them because it's deeply rooted, but the chaff, which has no root, cannot. The tree remains fruitful and beautiful, and the chaff is destroyed. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus actually says something that is strikingly similar to this psalm. Listen to these words from Matthew 7, 24 to 27. These are the words of Jesus. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was its fall. See, the daily office, this blending of Bible reading, of prayer, of meditation, it's like an anchor that keeps us from drifting. It's like a fixed point in the distance that keeps us from walking aimlessly in circles. It keeps us rooted. It makes us resilient. I mentioned Pete Scazzaro a moment ago, and, and again, in the same book, he makes this point also. He uses an illustration about farmers in the Midwest. I have never been to the Midwest except for Chicago proper, and I am not a farmer. I am assuming this is true because Scazzaro said it in a published book. So it's a great illustration. Farmers in the Midwest who during the winter would tie ropes from the back door of their house to their barns in order to find their way home in the event that when it was snowing, a, like a squall would come and produce these whiteout conditions. And this could actually be quite serious for a farmer who had to go out to see the animals in the barn and take care of them, and even at times was fatal because these farmers between the back door of their house and this barn could become disoriented, wander, and get lost in their own backyards because they couldn't see anything. And see, the voices and the messages that daily surround us, that clamor for our attention, can sometimes feel like a blizzard. Can't they? Again, standing in Times Square 24-7, it's overwhelming. It can feel like a blizzard, and the daily office is a rope that we can hold on to in the midst of the storm. As we close, let me give you a, a painful, painfully obvious answer to an important question. How often should we engage in the practice of the daily office? Hint, the answer is in the title, the daily office. Every day, if we're able, and once, more than once a day even, for some of us, if it's possible, Dr. John Blanchard, in his book, How to Enjoy Your Bible, it's kind of a famous book back from like the 70s, he writes this. Surely, we only have to be realistic and honest with ourselves to know how regularly we need to turn to the Bible. How often do we face problems, temptations, and pressure? Every day. How often do we need instruction, guidance, and greater encouragement? Every day. To catch all of these felt needs up into an even greater issue, how often do we need to see God's face, hear his voice, feel his touch, know his power? The answer to all of these questions is the same 
every day. As the Amer- American evangelist D.L. Moody put it, a man can no more take in a supply of grace for the future than he can eat enough for the next six months or take sufficient air into his lungs at one time to sustain life for a week. We must draw upon God's boundless store of grace from day to day as we need it. It's a great quote. Every day. Envision yourself for a moment as a, like as a cartoon character or a comic book character, you know, with like the, the thought bubble, you know, that's like above their heads. Imagine that for a second. Imagine yourself with that thought bubble. There's a finite amount of space in a thought bubble, right? It's limited. It's limited real estate. And every day, as we go throughout the course of our life, in this loud world filled with voices, it gets filled up, right? As I talked at the beginning, whether that's podcasts or the news or conversations or whatever, it gets filled up. And as followers of Jesus, we must be proactive to daily fill that thought bubble with God's voice. His voice needs to be in there as well. And so I ask you this, what is in your thought bubble right now? And I don't necessarily mean at this exact second, maybe more in general, but what is in your thought bubble right now? How much of it is the words of Scripture? How much of it is deep thinking about the Bible? How much of it is words of the prayers that you've been praying for, for yourself or for others? See, the daily office, when we practice it daily, it helps us to replenish those thought bubbles. It helps us to fill our minds with the truth of the scriptures, with the person and work of Jesus, and with the glory of our gracious God. See, if we don't intake the Bible, if we don't meditate on it, if we don't pray it back to God, those voices in the world, those are going to influence us. And they're going to become, whether we like it or not, if we're not intentional about it, they're going to become the primary messages that shape us, that disciple us, that determine who we are and what we believe. So Liberty Church Collinswood, let us take up this divine calling. It's a holy work, the daily office. Let us take it up that we may be more fruitful, more joyful, and more resilient followers of Jesus. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, The odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.